This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, I I know we want to talk about Star Trek stuff, but I've got some big news for you. Okay. Something really exciting happened in my life since last time we recorded. What was that? I have the official Starships collection USS Defiant now. Oh my gosh! Are you serious, Chris? Actually, can you hold that up to the camera so I can see it? Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's right there, and it's exciting, oh, wow. Matthew. It and I'm great. pretty sure that there is nothing that could have possibly happened in your life that can top this starship. Well, uh, sadly enough, um, mine's still on order uh, because um, <laughs> I missed it the first time around, so it's it's waiting for it to get refilled and and sent to me. So, yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything. Nothing. Um, nothing else happened. Oh, I did go life. to a concert last night, Chris. Oh, it was great. I saw that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had a really good time, yeah. and I got engaged. So ah, that's pretty so you big think news. that tops my defiant? Do you? I don't know. Maybe it's a <laughs> what we'll is called a tie. Um, All right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, congratulations! I'm really excited for you. Really happy for you. Yeah, and, and what a great venue to do that! Very memorable. Yeah, it was um, the the place that we went to the concert. It's called uh, Mary Moore Park. It's outside of um, it's it's north and east of Seattle, but it's this just gorgeous park that's huge. They have a great place for the stage, just surrounded by you know big huge trees and everything. Uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Had a great time. And, um, yeah, it went very well. I, I, I asked the big question and she said yes. And then she cried tears of joy. And so it was great. I was, I'm very excited. So now I'm just, I, I'm hoping everything goes smoothly with the actual wedding. I'm hoping that Sorella doesn't have any problems with her. Yeah, me, me too. Um, luckily, uh, this is the best part. And this is a funny thing is her mom and my mom are best friends. And so I've kind of known her family for a very long time. And luckily, her mom was kind of the instigator of us getting together in the first place. So Sorella, she is not. So thank the Lord. Great. <laughs> very good. <Yeah. laughs> well, again, congratulations on that. And I'm glad that you've gotten engaged and you're going to be married before the apes take over. Because that's coming soon as IDW is bringing together Star Trek and Planet of the Apes. And I know that this is probably the second most exciting thing in your life right now. Well, Chris, uh, you know, apparently, <laughs> and I didn't know this, but uh, Greg Goldstein, IDW president and chief operating officer, says that a crossover between the two is a natural and long overdue. 
I, I didn't know this, Chris, but I'm really <laughs> glad that Greg um, was, was able to enlighten me here. And so, I don't know, Chris. Um, you know, they did the Doctor Who crossover, which to me makes a lot of sense. Honestly, you can you can formulate in your mind why that would work. But Planet of the Apes in Star Trek, I'm just at a loss with. I, I, I enjoy Planet of the Apes, and I enjoy yeah. Star Trek. But together, I don't know. So kind of like the new Visions comic, they're really going to have to win me over on this one. Yeah, well, I have my theory on this one, which I shared on the Ready Room. I think that what probably happened here is that they were sitting around the table and someone said, Prime Directive, the Primate Directive. Hey, that's a great title. Let's make a comic series about it. In a comic series, they're going to make, Chris. Uh, so Star Trek and Planet of the Apes are going to be crossing over. We're going to have Kirk facing off against, I guess, Caesar, maybe, from uh, the Planet of the Apes. Who knows exactly how this is going to go down. And so, Well, apparently it's uh, Dr. Zaius's orangutans are going wild. And they're being supported. And this is where it does make a little bit of sense for me. If you think about some of the original series episodes, like A Private Little War, for example, the Klingons are backing a renegade guerrilla general in a coup for control of Ape City. And so Kirk has to fight back. Now, the question is, of course, why is the Federation concerned? Why are the apes there in the first place, I suppose? Yeah, um, you know, maybe there's some sort of strange time warp going on. All I can think of is this at this point is the Planet of the Apes musical from that Simpsons episode, Dr. Zeus, <laughs> Dr. Zeus. And so I'm just <laughs> expecting them hopefully to not be singing. So who knows what's going to really go on in this comic. I'm, that, <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that episode. Was that the Falco song? Is that Rock Me Amadeus that they're doing? They are, but uh, <laughs> they they changed it and it's about Dr. Zeus. And so <laughs> um, I... Again, who knows what's going to go on with this comic? You know, IDW on a whole does great stuff. And so hopefully this will be a lot of fun, the crossover. Uh, but this yeah, is coming to a comic book store near you. All right. So make sure you get your paws off my damn dirty comics. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I'm, I, I mean, I know Planet of the Apes. It's not something I'm particularly steeped in or that. You know, it's not something I'm I'm crazy about. And so I I have not thought of this as like, this is something that they need to make. And when are they going to make it? And finally, it's here. No. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, uh, okay, All right. Chris, um, uh, this is kind of an interesting question. Can you think of any property that you would actually like to see a crossover with Star Trek out there? Well, you know, I want to see that Bosom Buddies Star Trek crossover where Quark is actually in there. He's in his drag. Oh, okay. Like yeah, I, I could see yeah. that happening. Um, I was also I think thinking it, of uh, the Bosom Buddies, maybe with, where somehow Miles and Julian are um, mm -hmm. hanging out with the Bosom oh, Buddies. See, yeah. Now that would be awesome. Yeah. Definitely. I like it. Yeah, so so I would rather see that personally than Planet of the Apes and Star Trek. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this, and I can't really think of any uh, actual crossovers, you know, with another sci-fi group that I might want to see. Um, just waiting for that one day when, when IDW and Marvel get together and do that Star Wars, Star Trek crossover. So, right, I was just thinking about yeah. that, yeah. 
All right. Well, let's go on. We have some news from Shore Leave here, something that was on the Trek BBS boards. No major announcements or news, except that Peter David confirmed that the new new Frontier novel is definitely a go. But I loved meeting everyone. This was a real treat. All right. So that's from the boards there. Yeah, this is exciting, I think, for a lot of people. Um, when we were talking about our wish list, I actually created just a forum post over there about what their wish lists were. And so many people mm. have mentioned New Frontier. And now they are really excited. Now, there's no news so far that I've seen on whether this will be kind of a wrap-up novel or just, you know, trying to push the series forward. So, but very excited for fans of Peter David and the New Frontier series. And more than anything, I would think, you know, if they are just going to do one, let's give David an opportunity to just do a slam-bang finish on that uh, series because it has so many fans. Yeah, and that's something we talked about too with Dan on the last show, in fact, or two shows ago when we did our, our wish list, which you mentioned, but New Frontier, we specifically talked about quite a bit, and Dan talked about his fondness for the series as well and wanting to see more. Yeah, so that's really exciting. In other news, uh, we had a couple of things that uh, dropped. Uh, one we'll be talking about next week, and the other we're going to be waiting on until the full Fledge series is out. City on the Edge Forever, Chris, part two actually dropped. And, of course, we uh, have been reading through it, but we're going to wait and do an entire show over all of the parts of that series. Uh, I think it'll be uh, much better for everyone if we just kind of wait to to talk about the whole instead of kind of dicing it up into parts like we do sometimes. I think that's best, too. Yeah, yeah, that's... um, We could certainly talk about it in news like we do some of the others, but this one, because of the nature of it, I really do want to do it as a full feature full discussion so yeah i think it really deserves a full feature as well um because uh you know this is is pretty landmark as as a as a series i mean you know arguably the best star trek episode ever at least tos wise certainly one of the most iconic no doubt very true and and so talking about its its um original makeup by harlan ellison i I think is going to be very exciting in fact, Chris, it was just at the, um, the Barnes & Noble the other day, mm-hmm. saw the the Star Wars, which was based off the uh, original rough draft script for Star Wars mm-hmm. that they had done. And so it just made me think of the fact that they had uh, done this with City on the Edge Forever, which mm-hmm. really exciting. You know, I, I it's kind of see uh, neat to see. It's almost like an alternate timeline almost really of what could have been. Right, right. And also, we talked about this before the show, but Harlan Ellison was at Star Trek Las Vegas, and I haven't actually heard what he said, but Star Trek.com said that we can't really reprint much of anything he said because he was his usual profane, laden, cantankerous self. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that they, they, they literally, what they have to say is uh, there's more profanity in here than a you know, a Kevin Smith film with Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> so yeah, we're uh, yeah. we're out of luck. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. It is funny. Well, the last thing we have is also just to let you know it's out and we're going to talk about it next week. That is Times Echo, the latest in the New Visions series. And it just dropped as we're recording this, so we didn't have time to read it uh, this week. But it is the the next double-length issue of John Byrne's photo comic. 
Yeah, this is exciting, Chris. I, you know, he definitely won us over the first time. It'll be interesting to see if that can continue. This is a, I think... You sound like a sportscaster there, Matthew. Yeah. Well, it, it's true, though. It's like he was really on target in that game. You know, he, he had a completion of 87%. It's going to be interesting to find out if that can continue. Exactly. Uh, and so <laughs> continuing that sports ball metaphor, I just don't know. I mean, this is a it, it's a very high level to kind of reach every single time. Um, yeah. And I think for me, probably the thing that's you know going to be just the clincher is is what it looks like. It's, I like it's that the, clincher. Yeah, Sports ball metaphors there you are continuing. Go. The, the yeah. Photoshop work here, I think, is really going to be key, is what does it look like? Because yeah. as you're creating these new scenes and new places, they need to stand up next to the characters that we already know and the scenes that you're kind of pulling them from and all that. So uh, uh, for me, uh, that's the only place this can really fail, I think. And then, of course, you're going to also need to continue to create stories that are unique and special right. and and not just kind of reuse the formula. That was my concern as well when they said it was going to become a series that, you know, doing these standalone, doing one or two a year is one thing, but when you start doing it as a series like this, yeah, can you sustain that? Yeah, so that's tough, but I mean, you know, that's that's really I think the um the issue you get in with like any comic series, you know, the ongoing comic series, we've had ups and downs there. Uh, so I, I think we'll probably have ups and downs. It's harder to stomach for me personally uh, with these uh, new Vision comics, though. I mean, it's seven ninety nine a piece. Now I, mm-hmm. I think John Byrne is putting in a ton of work, so I can understand, and they're double issues. But at the same time, you know, a, as a fan, you know, if you get one and you're like, eh, that's eight dollars, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm still very excited about it. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it as well. I'm going to buy it right after the show and read it so we can talk about it next week. Well, that's all we have in news for this week before we go into the feature where we're going to talk about the first part of Intelligence Gathering, an IDW TNG comic series. We'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They are the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying them out. You go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial, choose a book, and we'd like to recommend a book for you to pick up every week. And Matthew, I was just thinking as we were talking about the Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover that let's go off the board this week. Let's not do a Star Trek novel, but instead let's do Planet of the Apes because they actually have Pierre Boulle's original Planet of the Apes novel, which set everything into motion, unabridged on Audible, read by Greg Wise. That's awesome, Chris. What a great uh, thought there. I think fans would really appreciate that. You know, uh, the the brand new Planet of the Apes just came out this summer and is definitely kind of building as a prequel series here towards the original film so and i've heard it's very good i have not gotten a chance to see it yet but i enjoyed the first one that came out a few years ago so this would be great to go back and just uh, listen to the original planet of the apes in audio yeah definitely it's always good to, to know the original source material for any yeah of these definitely <laughs> for sure I'm, I haven't seen it in the theater. I'm going to wait until the Blu-ray comes out so I can watch the making of documentary, The Dawn of the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of dawns. <laughs> it is. 
All right, so you can pick this up absolutely free if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. If you decide not to stick with Audible at the end of the trial, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep that book. But when you try Audible, it really helps us out here at Trek FM. It really helps us cover the costs of hosting and distributing literary treks to you each week. So again, support us and support Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Chris, we have something I think that's going to be fun for the listeners. Star Trek TNG's Intelligence Gathering comic. Uh, now, this is a great comic series, I think. Uh, I guess I just gave away what I think about it. Uh, but um, <laughs> done by IDW in 2008. Uh, it's written by Scott and Dave Tipton, and the art is by Dave Messina. And they've all been working on uh, Star Trek comics for quite a while now. And so oh, yeah. this is the same team that did uh, Klingon's Blood Will Tell, Alien Spotlight mm-hmm. issues about the Gorn and Orions. And they've gone on to work, obviously, with uh, the ongoing series and other comics as well, too. Now, what's kind of neat about this is that it does take place between the next phase and the inner light towards the end of the fifth season of The Next Generation. And uh, Chris, I just want to talk about that for a second before we kind of dove in thinking about okay where this falls uh in the next generation how did you feel that worked did you actually feel like you were kind of in that fifth season of the next generation or did you feel like eh, you know what what were your feelings on it Hmm, good question um yeah i think it worked pretty well actually the there were a couple of odd things like seeing stellar cartography which we didn't see until Generations on the screen, you know, seeing Picard and Data in there. So there are a few things that they grabbed from later on and kind of throw, threw them in there. But, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. You can imagine that that always existed on the ship. Did, they didn't make any explanation in Generations, did they, about, like, this is a new room that we just had installed on the ship? Yeah, you know, there's there's no talk in Generations of that or the difference in the bridge. Um, I, yeah. I, and I think... Their thoughts in Generations went something like, this is what it always looked like on screen. You were mm. just watching it on TV in uh, okay. four by three. You know, now you're watching right. it on widescreen. And it's so, like, put on these glasses exactly. and you'll see what it really looks like. Yeah, apparently, we weren't, we, aren't, we, weren't, we weren't wearing those 3D glasses, Chris, that we should have been right, wearing. That, and that we would have gotten problem. it. would have popped out at us. So. Right. And apparently Data always told bad jokes. We just didn't notice because we weren't listening in 7.1 surrounds. Exactly. And or cursed. So. (laughs) Yes, that's right. So I think it worked pretty well. You know, I mean, they brought in the voices were good. It seemed that way, like interactions between Riker and Data and Picard and Worf seemed good. You have Tomalak in here. So that makes sense as well. Yeah, Chris, I thought that this was something that... um, it, it seemed like the writers were able to pick up on that kind of comfort level that TNG had gotten to by the fifth season, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the fact that, you know, it's set between the next phase and the inner light. I mean, uh, just some massive things were about to happen with the characters there, especially for Picard and inner light. And so um, I thought it was interesting that uh, the series doesn't focus as much on Picard as it does really some of the other characters on the show, which is great because Picard tends to be the focus a lot uh, of things. Mm-hmm. But um, you got uh, some other characters here that were able to shine, and that was really nice. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah. uh, and this is this is something that 
pulled me out just a little bit, I guess, when I asked the question about does it seem to kind of fit. In the very first page is a scene with a with a old World War II fighter, and Riker is in the holodeck spending some time on, um, you know, apparently a mission in this fighter. And I thought to myself, I've never seen Riker do anything like this. Now, O'Brien and Julian on Deep Space Nine, right? You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're flying the Battle of Britain and stuff, but I never really thought of Riker as being one of the guys who would who would enjoy this kind of program. And usually, they involve skanky women and <laughs> you know bars or something. Well, maybe this was just the very opening scene. He was going to land, then he was going to go to the club. And then he has uh, on yes. his bomber jacket. There you go. And then all the ladies were going to flock to him. Okay, okay. That's probably the whole, the actual simulation is about the club after you land. Okay, okay. It's so not about the I, actual flight. I, okay, <laughs> this is making a lot more sense. Okay, so. Yeah. Well, I thought it was pretty interesting to, to just kind of see, again, you know, I was talking about that, um, the comfort level of the characters and, and just. This is Riker's downtime, you know, and uh, it, it does kind of make sense that he would be the kind of guy of any of the characters here, because we don't really know O'Brien at this point. Of any mm-hmm. of the characters on TNG, I would think that Riker would be the kind of guy to be kind of playing frivolously in the, you know, the holodeck. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, that worked fine for me. It was a little bit, I mean, it's a cool visual. Definitely. It's a little bit odd, like you say, that it's not one of those things we've known him to do. But I, I think they chose the subject matter just to set up the rest of the story mm-hmm. know, as a tie-in. Yeah. So And so in that case, it worked all right. Well, he gets interrupted by Data telling him that, uh, you know, they're needed, um, that they have uh, arrived where they need to be. And that's, um, <laughs> I thought this was interesting. They're, they're having this whole conversation and Data asks him, you know, I is it really relaxing, you know, to to be in a simulation about war and Riker's kind of trying to explain about the whole romance of the thing and, you know, the the man versus machine and, and all mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, it's it's kind of hard to explain since at this point Data doesn't have any emotions and, and try and make that real to him in some way. So the next scene, Chris, we, we jump to the ready room and, and I thought this was kind of funny. Picard apologizes for interrupting Riker's holodeck time. I'm not really sure exactly what he thought he was doing in the holodeck at that point, but it was just... Well, he didn't have a tie hanging on the door. That is true. That That is true. And this is before the Enterprise-E where they had like the the, the uh, kind of like the courtesy doors, you know? So when you oh, walked yeah. into the holodeck, you didn't immediately just walk into somebody's simulation. You know, there's the courtesy hall. Uh, they call those the the Barkley doors, don't they? Yeah, Isn't that what probably Starfleet calls them exactly? Because yeah. every time somebody would walk in, oh, oh, God, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're so. like, Captain, what's wrong? Doesn't your ship have Barkley doors? <laughs> yeah. Being installed on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I thought this was interesting. You know, they're going to be going to Daystrom One, and apparently they are having a problem there with. Um, the artificial intelligence that apparently maintains the installation. And what's really interesting about it is that it uses some of the same technology as Data's positronic brain does. And so they're hoping that he can be able to provide some insight on this, which I thought was interesting, this idea of of, of, uh, first having storage and then two, having that artificial intelligence be something like Data. And, uh, you know, hoping that it will 
function in very much the same way that data does in keeping um, everything together, all of these archives in the way that data does. So I thought that was actually well, kind of an interesting that, idea. It seems that positronic nets are with within the Star Trek universe, within that future, that's sort of the next stage in advanced computing. Because if you remember in Insurrection, the Baku even were familiar with positronic matrix uh, for brains, for, for androids. So it seems like it's something that's there. But of course, the trick is what makes Data unique is there's some extra little something that makes him sentient in a way that they haven't been able to replicate. And of course, you don't want this facility storing all your <laughs> your archives to necessarily become sentient because it might get a cat. You know, it might start painting. painting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, acting, learning to dance, all that kind of stuff. Right. And what you really want it to just tell you is what happened on Altair 5 in 2264. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I thought this was interesting. You know, you, we get to Daystrom and, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think, Chris, in the show, in any of the shows, have we ever been to the Daystrom Institute? Ah, I'm just trying to think there. They talk about it all the time. Have we ever actually been inside the Daystrom Institute itself? I can't remember a time where we actually got to see, like, what is the Daystrom Institute besides what we hear about it. Yeah. So this was, was just kind of an interesting thing because, I, you know, I hadn't remembered really getting to see it. If it's happened, I'm sure the listeners will let us know. And then kind of just walking through and them talking about the fact that where they're keeping this information is a really large place. And it's like a it's a really complicated uh, project that they had constructed an artificial intelligence based on Nudian Sung's positronic brain technology as the hub for Daystrom One. So, like the basically the the brain that makes up Data is that same kind of brain is is now the hub of mm -hmm. Daystrom One, which which is really an interesting idea. So it's kind of like Spock's brain. Like if you took Data's brain, if you stole his brain and used it to power your facility. Exactly, but luckily nobody <laughs> stole Data's brain here. <laughs> right? No, no brains were stolen or harmed I, during the making of this comic. Good, good. I think we should also at this point explain what Daystrom One is for everyone. It is a next generation memory alpha, essentially. So in TOS, there's memory alpha, which is a place that stores all the collective knowledge of all the Federation worlds. And it's actually a series of domes, domed facilities on the surface of a planetoid, which means it's, it is susceptible to attack. It is susceptible to meteor or comic Im comet impacts that could happen at some point. It's kind of vulnerable there being on the surface. And so when I first read this, Matthew, my thought was, why are they building this? Because they already have memory alpha. But as we talk about what they're actually doing here, which is very unique, much more advanced, I guess it's sort of an acknowledgement that they need a more secure and a more robust place to store all this information. Well, and if you think about the size of the Federation in the next generation and the size of it in, TN mm. in TOS, there's mm -hmm. been a huge jump. And so the amount of information that they're trying to store as well is, is an incredible amount. So I can understand why 
memory alpha might need some assistance or, or even a better way of storing information. And, and it seems to me that I guess that's what the Daystrom Institute is working on. This is what was most interesting because you could tell they just kind of stole some lingo here from Marvel um, because they talk about this Tesseract getaway or the Tesseract yeah. gateway. And oh, see, I like the Tesseract getaway better. It yeah, is, it's a it's, great it's, hotel. If you ever go there, if you go to, if mm-hmm. you go to Tesseract, the getaway is they've got great drinks there. Uh, they've got they've got a pool. Yeah, the pool is nice, really nice. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in fact, it's got the nice bar in it, so you can just float mm-hmm. up and get a drink. Right. You... So, yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. <laughs> and then, uh, two, this place is so large that um, they've actually called it the data landscape because it 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 really is this place like it's like a ginormous hollow deck. You know what it reminded me of was Magrathea in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when they take them into the place where they actually build the planets. Oh, yeah. Because yes. you walk in yes. and then that place is sort of in a different dimension. And so it's, it's, it's yes. huge. Yeah. Well, and then so they get to the pod. And yes, it looks something like that. I mean, they've got these huge data nodes that are passing data back and forth with what looks like laser beams and they're just kind of floating in this and on the floor it looks like there's just information flowing back and Mm -hmm. forth and 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 it's just it's an incredible looking thing i mean the idea is that you know i think of it being a holodeck you know the size of a stadium almost and you have this tiny little at least yeah, yeah you know this tiny little pod that just kind of floats around in it going from data node to data node and so Data and Riker set off in the pod and they're going to check out and see what's going on because what's happening here is there's something that's malfunctioning or they think that's going wrong and they're not quite sure whether or not because they're using this positronic brain if the system is not working because it's starting to become sentient. And they've asked Data here with Riker to be able to help them figure that out because who would know better than data? Yeah, and they and they call back to things like the measure of a man and the relationship between data and Riker there. I also thought of things like the exocomps and how data felt about those and whether or not they were sentient and how they should be treated. And I also felt that they did a really good job with writing this. And spoiler alert here, for those who haven't read this, you may want to read these before you listen to these shows. We're not going to give everything away, but I do want to talk about some key points. When Data and Riker come under attack, I thought they did a good job of really throwing you off as to what was going on, because my very first thought was that the system was becoming sentient, and it was actually attacking them as antibodies would, that they were invaders within the system, and somehow the system was trying to protect itself. Yes, definitely. I thought the exact same thing. And I think I'm just about anybody reading the comic without listening to this uh, beforehand would would think so Mm -hmm. as well. And so it was just really interesting because they're moving around and all of a sudden their way is blocked by this kind of like diamond shaped thing. And they keep kind of trying to go around it and they can't. And so because the, the system actually uses replicator technology it's kind of created this barrier in their way mm-hmm. and so uh data thinks well i guess maybe we could just check it out with our it basically looks like they're in one of those undersea 
submarines, you know, and you have the little arm mm-hmm. that comes out. It's like tries to touch it and it blows up the arm. <laughs> <laughs> right. This also reminded me maybe of like a, a game of 3D Bejeweled. Yes. Is They're it... trying to line yes. up the diamonds here. <laughs> if we can line them all up, Data, we can escape. They'll all shatter and we can fly right through. So they, they, they try to move forward, but the system keeps creating more of these jewels, basically, mm-hmm. to get in their way. And then they find themselves being attacked, not by these jewels, but by these, well, basically people on speeder bikes from Star Wars. It's exactly what yeah, they it look does like. Look well. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then they realize too that their pod doesn't have any weapons on it because I'm not really sure who would think they'd need weapons in a data recovery pod. <laughs> well, I like when Riker makes the comment, like, how can we be under attack inside a secured Federation facility? Yeah. And and I'm thinking too, like when these guys showed up, that that was weird. And I'm still thinking right now as I'm looking at it, how did they get these little speeder bike ships inside this thing in the first place? Yeah, exactly. That's what I, I the whole, I was like, okay, maybe the system is just creating these just as it's yeah, creating the jewels. I don't jewels. think so, though. That's what that, I that kind of thought your, at that point. Your thought at the time, Yeah, right? I thought at the yeah. point was that's what's happening. And so... Yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah, I think I had the same thought the first time I read through it as well, that like maybe these beings are mm-hmm. also being created by the system. Right. Um, yeah. Well, then we actually... It's interesting. We jump from that scene. We jump into another scene where we're actually on the Enterprise and Barkley and... LaForge are working on something in engineering and they they see that there is a signal that is underlying on this universal translator communication that something's going wrong and being transmitted to Daystrom 1. And Picard is, I I thought that was pretty funny that I noticed through each one of these comics, he's kind of just like fed up. Like (laughs) he's just ready to like figure these these things out. Like he's not having a good time. I also, before we get past this page, don't you love talking about, does this feel like fifth season TNG? Don't you love Jordy comes running onto the bridge? Captain, we managed to decipher the transmissions. Can't you just call the bridge and say that? You have to actually run to the bridge. Yeah. But of course, Jordy has to be on the bridge to use the engineering control panel on the bridge so that you can have all the characters together in the scene. Yep, yep. <laughs> but he's literally running out of the turbo lift. And considering the starting point of that dash, the turbo lift stops. It's not like he had a lot of space to start running. So he must've been ready. And when the doors open, then he runs out onto the bridge. Yeah, that is really funny. (laughs) So I love it. What they figure out is that the beams that are coming into the Daystrom Institute are being located somewhere outside in space. And Picard figures out, along with Geordi's help, exactly where in space these transmissions are coming from. They fire some torpedoes and find out that they're Romulans. Now, I didn't see this coming the first time. I was like, what? Oh, Romulans? neither did I. No. Uh, yeah. But you and... talked about Picard being fed up. He says, Romulans. <laughs> like that. It's like yeah. HRM. <laughs> he got his arms folded. <laughs> it's almost like he turned into Worf at that point. He did, Rom- right? <laughs> and this time, I think, uh, you know, um, he didn't even ask Worf what they, we wanted to do. He just told him, get some torpedoes ready and shoot them off their bow. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Don't hit them, but come as close as you can. <laughs> do it now. What I do like is is that at this point, Data and Riker are still kind of trapped here in the Data nodes, and they're trying to get back to the gateway so they can get out. That right, that's right, that Tesseract gateway. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, they're still being followed by one of the guys on the speeders. And he goes, sort of like bumper cars, Data, we're just going to ram them. And he's like, I hadn't thought about that, but essentially, yes. And Hart turned to the left, and then they slam into one of these speeders and just knock it out of oblivion. I thought it was great. And then it knocks it into the one of the data nodes, I guess, killing the guy, which that's a way to get rid of somebody. Well, I think the guys survive, actually, because they, oh, they yeah, you're right. take you're right. them into custody afterwards. Yeah. You're right. So I don't know how they survived, because they are riding. It is like a, like a jet ski, basically. They're standing up i mean they're they're mm-hmm. in protective suits but they're not inside a vehicle so the way they slam into it yeah i don't know how he wasn't killed so it turns out that they they discover that obviously the romulans were the ones accessing this tesseract that uh, had begun to mess with it and they were kind of creating these anomalies that were giving the appearance of sentience but it has nothing to do with with what's actually happening and so um, we're not having to go down that road again with days from one mm-hmm. and whether or not it's sentient. We, you know, we have to give it some rights and all that. And then I thought this was really interesting is that Tomalak shows up, Chris, mm-hmm. as the Romulan behind this whole scheme, apparently on this Romulan warbird. Yeah, I'm. they mined TNG for the relationships and the connections and the villains. So Picard and Tomalak facing off it makes sense. It does. Um, when we get to the very, very end of this comic, the the reason that they're doing all this stuff is it seemed like a really, really long way to go to get the final result that they're trying to get. And what we find out here, the whole reason they created this illusion that there's some growing sentience in Daystrom 1 is that they're trying to get data. And that's something that when Jordy ran on the bridge, that's one of the things that he told Picard, was that whatever they're doing, whoever they are, they're after data. Yeah, and I, I thought that was interesting to think that, you know, when you think about how special data is when it comes to artificial intelligences, I'm kind of surprised this didn't happen more often. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you obviously um, had the collector that was after him um, mm-hmm. and things like that. But, you know, with the uniqueness of of how data was created uh, i am surprised that we just didn't get more of this um what if there were a star trek show where every single episode was someone trying to kidnap data but he always gets away at the end yeah i feel like that might be the most boring idea i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) i do like that that we have this great conversation at the very end you know Riker talks about how you know um Sometimes it's it's difficult for him to think about these artificial intelligences in the way that he thinks about data now. And, you know, he apologizes to him for if if he treated him um, unfairly. And I, I just I loved having this conversation between them because it does harken back to kind of that that measure of a man. And I think Riker still kind of has that. 
guilt with having to be involved with that. At this point and in this story, yeah, definitely I got that feeling. Yeah, so I liked having this conversation between them. And what was interesting to me too is just in general, um, you know, there aren't a lot of stories in The Next Generation that really just revolve around Riker a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just kind of an underutilized character for so much. And so I was kind of glad to see that he had more to do. And I would love to see more of him. You know, I, I've, that's one of the things I think I've enjoyed about the Titan novels is getting to see Riker grow and change and kind of where he's like Picard, where he's kind of like a Kirk and where he's just Riker, you know. So I, I really appreciated that about this this first uh, issue. So then we'll go on to issue number two. And this is a five-part comic, by the way. And we're going to do the first two parts today. And then in next week's show, we're going to do the final three parts because the final three parts really do run together into one story, pretty much, whereas the first two are distinct and they help to set that up. This next one here... Matthew is <laughs> talking about fifth season TNG again. Does it feel like it? And this very much does feel like it because basically the Enterprise, the flagship of the Federation, the most decorated crew, the greatest captain, Captain Picard, they're being sent to mediate a labor dispute about a dam. Yeah. Isn't there a better ship for this? I mean, <laughs> that ship that we always talk about that must have had to follow around Kirk to pick up all of his messes. I mean, can't that kind of crew do this stuff? I mean, isn't the mission of the Enterprise to boldly go where no one has gone before? The aliens involved here are the Rigelians and the Kalar. So, I mean, it feels like Mm -hmm. that if, if anybody's you know, been in this system. Everybody's been in this system. Everybody's been here, right? Why is the Enterprise anywhere near this issue? Well, plus the fact that apparently the Federation is concerned about this dam and who has control over it and whether these group, there's a group of people who built the dam and then there's a group of people who actually operate the dam. And the people who built it claim it's theirs, and they are supposedly threatening to blow up the dam if their demands are not met. So the Federation is really concerned about this. So clearly this is not exploring new worlds or going to new places. This is, the guys are upset, the labor union's pissed off, we've got to go work it out. Let's send our flagship there for this. It, it is just kind of crazy when you think about it that um, the Enterprise would be involved in this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Picard is a, a great mediator, but I don't think there's any need for him to be involved in this. And no wonder he seems so pissy in these these comics. Right. Like he he himself is probably thinking, I'm, I'm on some damn full mission that any old Joe <laughs> could, you know, I mean, why not just send the equinox out here you know come on well it all builds to his line in insurrection when he says does anyone remember when we used to be explorers exactly exactly you you know what it also made me think of especially because the imagery that we're seeing here is think about every day in our world turn on the news and everything that's happening all over the world it's just overload of little things like this where two groups of people are upset with each other about something 
and often, I mean, really minor, this like local level stuff, it would be like on the U.S. level, if President Obama himself was being sent to each one of these little things to mediate that, and then expand that to a global level, and then expand that to a galactic level. And when you get to the Federation, I was reading this and I was thinking, how many people and how many ships does this government have to have in order to just keep society functioning on a daily basis? No wonder Bergarn has a headache, probably. (laughs) Right? (laughs) All right. So, well, let's get in the actual story here. Um, What did you think about, I mean, the role of this story within the overall setup here? This is pretty much a wharf story. Yeah, um, which I thought was interesting, especially uh, when we get to, uh, you know, where Picard gives him the mission. So um, we have this attack on this dam. They place some bombs, it looks like the Kalar do. The Rigelians are very upset and they're very worried about this. And so they've called the Federation and the Federation sends the Enterprise. Obviously, you know, you would only send the Enterprise uh, because Data is the only one apparently who can give the best PowerPoint presentation <laughs> to tell that. them all what's happening. So that's the <laughs> other fifth season TNG here data giving yep. the PowerPoint presentation. Exactly. So um, everyone's chairs turned around to look at the screen. Yeah. Voltaire seven and uh, this Federation colony was under construction and these two groups from the Rigelian system, the Rigelians and the Kalar were um, uh, asked to help with this. The, Kalar built the system and the uh, Rigelians run it. And so basically it's it's a labor dispute. Um, yeah. And Picard gives the diplomatic mission basically to Worf. Probably the most undiplomatic person on TNG at this point. Now, if you had yeah. said DS9 Worf, maybe he could have pulled it off. But TNG Worf? Really? Yeah, at this point, but but I think that's part of the point of this comic, actually, because they're going to pair up Worf with Roe, who's someone else that at this point you wouldn't send on a diplomatic mission. And we, we often talk about, you and I talk about Worf's character growth on DS9. And here's a place where in this comic, we do see some character growth in that direction for Worf that we didn't see on screen in TNG. Definitely, which I, I really like the fact that he gets to pick the group that he wants with him. He picks Roe, I think, and, and for a good reason, because of her uh, work with uh, the Bajorans and, and obviously having uh, you know, been a terrorist, kind of understanding that mindset. He feels like she'll have a lot to add to this, that she'll be an asset to the team. And so they go down and... He's thinking that she will understand the other side, right? Exactly. Why exactly. they want to blow up the down. In, in a way, more than he would, which... It, when you're when you're coming to um, leadership and everything, very good on Worf's part to be thinking kind of outside his own comfort zone, which I thought was great. So they arrive and, and Worf and uh, Roe and the rest of the, the team, they end up talking to the uh, Rigelian administrator about what's going on. And, and they they talk about how the Kalar have been working in the facility they've worked in an agreement about you know them fixing it when because they were the constructors of the dam and all of this and and all of a sudden they've uh, started attacking and they feel like they're worried because they feel like the Kalar are going to blow up the dam and ruin everything that they've been working for and then of course it turns out that 
that are lying. They kind of made up the whole story in the first place, right? To to lure the Federation here. But but Worf's trying to, I guess, getting back to the Worf part, Worf's trying to, to mediate this and he doesn't know what to do. And so we get interesting conversations between Picard and Worf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, uh, he goes to Picard and, and he talks to him. He tells him, I feel that as long as you have tried to do this um, non-lethally from the beginning and you don't see any other options, then you can proceed as a sea fit. And so Worf feels like the only option he has left is to go and stop the terrorists who are trying to blow up the dam. And when they go and try and stop him, they end up surrounded themselves by the Kalar and the Kalar tell them, look, we're not trying to blow up the dam. And Worf's mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but apparently this isn't the truth. Something's wrong. Everything that I thought was true is not true. So I'm not really sure what to do. And that's when I think he has that really interesting conversation with Picard that we I, I didn't really see coming at this point. Well, and, and Picard, of course, brings up um, French history, right? Mm-hmm. To, to try to drive the point home to Worf. Which was funny when he was talking about this guy who um, was somebody known for his, yeah, he's known for his negotiating skills, uh, his numerous affairs with women, (laughs) 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 which I thought he was funny that he throws in. And uh, I love that Worf is just sitting there listening, listening. In the very end, he's like, I see. Thank you, Captain. And then he goes to talk to Riker. (laughs) And he's like, basically, he's got a headache. He's like, "Uh, so the talk with the captain didn't go so well and was like well, i do not I, see at all <laughs> right and i like that Worf says uh yes he recommended i consider the example of the french diplomat talleyrand a renowned scoundrel and womanizer and Riker says well i doubt he wants you to emulate that part specifically <laughs> i wonder if he's rather suggesting that you take an approach to this that is uniquely your own maybe there's a warfian solution to this dilemma yeah, which that's where I thought was really interesting. Um, and then, of course, Worf does. Worf is very upfront. He's honest. He expects other people to deal with him the same way as a warrior would. And so he goes in uh, to tell the Regilian administrator, look, what you told us isn't true. You've been lying. Uh, because of that, it makes it an internal affair. And for that, good luck dealing with it. And mm-hmm. I love that uh, he and Roe just about to walk out the door when the the administrator's like, wait, uh, maybe an accord can be reached. Maybe we still need your help, you know? And, and did uh, that remind you a little bit of Encounter at Farpoint? Where yes, Riker yes. and Carter are just going to walk out? Yes, so, exactly. Know, I hope the yeah. Ferengi find you as tasty as their last. Yes, yes. exactly. So I, I did really like that. And then, of course, obviously, um, they are able to work on the connection. The, the contract negotiations at that point. And I liked the last bit. Um, again, Riker getting an opportunity to talk to somebody in the crew, which I loved this because this issue and that last issue, War, Riker's really getting to be that first officer, you know? Yeah. And here he's doing the same thing. You know, he's not specifically involved in the story, but it's the, it, it's a part of the first officer's job to really kind of be involved with the Well, he's in charge crew. of personnel. Exactly. You know? That's that's something that I think often gets lost in Star Trek is that that is the role of the first officer. Exactly. You know, honestly, I think maybe uh, at that point, I think Voyager 
did a good job with that with Chakotay. They did. Um, yeah. Voyager um, did a better job of, of that than TNG did. Yeah. With Chakotay, you actually felt that he was building relationships with the crew and the crew knew, I need to go talk to Chakotay about personnel issues. Right. Which, uh, you know, strangely enough to be praising Voyager for something over a TNG, but yes, and Chakotay, they had, but yeah, yeah, well, and that they had definitely kind of figured that out. And unfortunately that's, all poor Chakotay got to do, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they so. mention it on TNG, so we know that this right. is Riker's job, but we just don't see mm-hmm. him doing it. And right. there was very few times we actually kind of saw him doing that, where I think of the instance where him and Deanna are sitting in 10-4, kind of talking about crew issues. Those are the times kind of we see more often. Right, yeah. but yeah. It, it's the one-on-one action between <laughs> him and actual crew member <laughs> that we were kind of missing. And no, I'm not wow, talking Matthew. about that kind of action. I, you just said it's the one-on-one action between Riker and crew members that we were missing. <laughs> oh, man. Now, there is okay. a show. There's a Star Trek show every go. week. <laughs> Riker, it's one Riker on one. <laughs> and a different crew member. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I loved it just, you know, here at the end, you know, them being able to talk about the fact Worf saying, look, I I know that it wasn't textbook, but I was able to find a solution, I think, that followed even the captain's advice. And he asks, does he always speak in riddles? And then a Riker gives the great answer. I suppose I've just gotten used to it. (laughs) Right. And I just love that because it is very true. You know, Picard in some ways kind of has that Yodaness about him where he will kind of speak in a riddle and he wants you to figure it out. You know, he's not going to yeah. just tell you right up front. So, well, he has I the, he has Yoda that. syntax, you know, T Earl Grey hot. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's the end of the second part. And so we will do the last three parts on next week's show. And then we'll find out where these fit in because, Again, Matthew, the, these first two, they do play into the overall story, but don't they feel to you like just two very distinct stories that leave you wondering, like, hey, this is a series, but it doesn't feel like a series at this point. Yeah, yeah you know, that first story seems like it has a thread hanging. This one really doesn't, and it doesn't involve data at all, so it kind of throws you off. At the same time, they do feel like uh, TNG fifth season episodes. And, um, you know, not bad comics uh, for that. I'd, I'd give it, they're, they're pretty average, I think, rating-wise. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the first one on, because of, the, I think, just the imagination of the, the whole setting. I thought that was really cool. Um, and then the second one, I just really enjoyed kind of Worf uh, growing a little bit. So on a whole, you know... Th- an average rating, but um, well worth the read as you're uh, looking through this series. But it does leave me wondering, where the heck is this going? I know these are yeah. supposed to kind of connect, but how in the world are they going to connect? Because they do call back a little bit to the second one, even though it feels like it has nothing to do. They call back a little bit. The first one has a much clearer connection as we get to that. So I- I'm with you. But if you love TNG, I definitely recommend parts one and two here, these first two issues, because it really does feel like a TNG episode or two different TNG episodes that I do think. And you asked at the beginning how I felt about these being placed in season five of TNG. And now that we're at the end and we've talked about them, I think that I definitely feel that way. I could completely see each of these being done as separate episodes during the middle of TNG. 
and I think they would work really well. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Chris. So, so I'm going to give these seven improperly held trombones. So if you go to page 45, if you have the digital, the full, the full collection here of all five issues, when Worf walks into Riker's quarters, I don't know what Riker's doing with his trombone, but I am a trombonist and you don't hold a trombone like that. He's got it upside down. I don't know what he's doing unless he's cleaning it, maybe, but I'm suspicious. Well, uh, I'm going to give this, I think, uh, seven out of 10 row karate lessons. If you look on page 32, you'll know Mm -hmm. why, uh, Uh, because I wouldn't mind her teaching me some karate. That's what you'll be doing on the holodeck. That's why you need those, (laughs) those Barkley doors when you're running your simulation. Oh yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, that is the feature. It was great fun talking about these, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I'm just going to say this up front. I don't know if it's Koenig or Koenig. I've heard both. I'm going to go with Koenig, but if I'm wrong... Just pretend I said Koenig the whole time. And I'll go with Koenig. All right. And then, so our bases and are then, covered. So we'll both, yes. Okay. One of us will be right. Earl Grey. They're like, we're supposed Second to be decommissioned. And Kirk's like, second star to the right. <laughs> and then, like, what happens after that moment? They're like, they just start like Five tap. minutes later, it's like, well. <laughs> I guess we do guess have we to go turn back. around. <laughs> <laughs> to the journey. To the journey is community. And that's what you find with Star Trek. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we love it when you guys write us find us on Twitter and that's why we're all friends on Trek.fm is because we have this sense of community and that's what it brings. It's not just about a show, it's about each other. Warp 5. Mm-hmm. Archer's way is the right way. He mm-hmm. brings the light. Mm-hmm. She walks into the light to talk to Archer because then she is enlightened because he is an enlightened man. Mm-hmm. She walks back into the darkness and retreats back into her world to pick up the slates and go teach the mm-hmm. kids about the humans and the Skagarans and all that kind of stuff. Commentary. Trek stars. I think it would be fun in order for in order to prove my point would be like to us have us play a game of Monopoly and also two players entirely determined by randomness. Two fictional players would be Mike, Max, Blue, and Green. Continuing mission. When we made the audio drama, it was a fairly straightforward transition. Let's call the ship the Excelsior. Let's make it the fourth one to bear the name. Let's put it in the Delta Quadrant. But uh, now that we're there, um, I'm really happy with a lot of those things. Melodic Treks. Second marriage took place in August the 6th, 1963 to Camille J. Williams, a Las Vegas dancer, and they had two children. And yes, I know, he divorced and married in the same year. I ain't gonna go anywhere near that. You draw your own conclusions. Literary Treks. I think I posited the idea that Wall was kidnapped, and Margaret just said in her Margaret E. way, she just said, Moriarty. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to, and you'll find us there. Don't forget to subscribe to the Master Feed as well, because that contains every episode of every show that we do. 
And while you're in iTunes and on Stitcher, be sure to review our shows, review Literary Treks, all the shows you listen to on the network. You can also review the Master Feed if you've already reviewed other shows, and every review you leave will get you an entry in our drawing. We're giving away some great Star Trek prizes, which include a season on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, some Star Trek novels of your choice, also Starship Collection ships from Japan with the Japanese magazine, and a collection of our alien art badges. Plus, Alec Peters has donated three beautiful embroidered patches from Star Trek Axanar, for those of you who listen to the official Axanar podcast, which I co-host with Alec, and review that show. It's very easy to enter. Just leave the reviews and then go to trek.fm slash review and submit the form that you find there. And the deadline for this is Sunday, August 17th at midnight Pacific time. We've gotten a lot of reviews, by the way, Matthew, and we're going to read some of those on an upcoming show. So thank you for everyone who's been leaving us some great reviews. And and I'm glad to say, Matthew, we're still maintaining our perfect five-star rating in iTunes. Which is awesome. So thank you so much, listeners. We really do appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Absolutely does. Well, if you would like to leave some feedback on today's show, there are many ways that you can do that. Go to trek.fm slash contact and you'll find a form there. Submit that form, choose to send to a show, choose Literary Treks. That comes to both Matthew and me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is trekfm. Facebook.com slash trekfm. We have a community on G+. We also have forums at trek.fm slash forums. And you can send us a voicemail as well. If you look in the sidebar on the show page, you'll see a widget for that. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and send us a voicemail. We would love to hear your voice and actually play your message here on the show. Well, Matthew, when you're not busy taking karate lessons from Ensign Row, where can people find you? Well, Chris, uh, you can find me on The Orb, talking about Deep Space Nine with you every week. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at MattRushing02, uh, talking about all sorts of things. Uh, I don't try to limit myself to just one thing or two things. I try to be all things to all people. Uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> Chris, you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifebetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not in the holodeck hoping that somebody doesn't come in while you're in that certain program, where can we find you? Matthew, you're not supposed to talk about my Leffler's Laws program on the show here. Oh, oh. (laughs) Sorry, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. Feel free to hit me up there. And I have my own website, cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, of course, I do the orb with Matthew, which you just mentioned. And I do a lot of other shows. There's The Ready Room, Matterstream, Continuing Mission, Warp 5 Hyper Channel, and I do the official Star Trek Axanar podcast with Alec Peters, which I mentioned a moment ago. So catch those shows if you want to know what else I'm talking about in the world of Star Trek. Before we let you go, we would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Head on over and pick up that original Planet of the Apes novel there in unabridged format, absolutely free. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm to get your copy. If you decide not to stick with Audible at the end of the trial, there is nothing to lose. You'll get to keep that book. But if you love podcasts, I know you're going to love audiobooks, and there's no better place to get them than Audible. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm, and we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.
definitely, which I, I really like the fact that he gets to pick the group that he wants with him. He chooses Ensign Rowe, somebody that, you know, um, he thinks with her ass. <laughs> he thinks with her ass? <laughs> to say assets, but. <laughs> <clears throat> Who's picking? Riker's picking or Worf is picking? <laughs> is this conundrum? <laughs> Actually, I think Daniel's probably picking at this point. We're talking about Rose assets. Um, 